0: Hey guys, Chris Bercher with Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. Welcome back. This is episode 151. I may be wrong, but that's okay. Just a quick reminder, if you're listening to this, if you like this, figure out a way to let me know. I really appreciate it. You know, I'm a lurker too. Like, I'm guilty of this as anybody else. I absorb a lot of material online, a lot of podcasts, a lot of YouTube channels, a lot of blogs, a lot of writing on the website Medium, which is sort of a paid membership Based writing website, and uh, you know, I I ingest a lot of this stuff, and I'm trying to make a better effort to let the authors know that I appreciate their work because I think that's important. I think it's sort of inherent. You know, it's not something you have to do. Obviously, Uh, it's sort of it's sort of like. I used to listen to NPR a lot and they would always have the fundraisers and I'm like, I'm not giving money to these people, you know, and, and, and I sort of, am, I'm learning to see the error of my ways with respect to that. And I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong, but if you're listening, if you like this, if you've listened more than once, let your friends know, uh, you know, tell your, tell your buddies, um, leave a like, hit a thumbs up, whatever you do on there, just just let the world know that this matters because um, that's the only way other people are going to find it. And, you know, as a kid, this is the kind of thing I wanted and that's why I'm doing it now. You know, I, I can't nobody's going to pay me to do anything. I'm not going to make any money to do anything. I don't, I don't I don't want to sort of participate in, at that level. Uh, I just want to be a part of this this thing that seems to be happening in the world where we're all sort of becoming aware that we're missing something. And the whole purpose of this podcast is to provoke thought about things that maybe we don't talk about every day or think about every day because, you know, it, it's, it's a luxury and it's and it's a privilege to be able to think about these things. But at the same time, they are topics that are critical and fundamental to being a human and to our success, evolutionarily speaking. So today, I want to talk about, yeah, I, I may be wrong and that's okay. One of the things I don't want to happen on this podcast is to come across as arrogant or conceited or know-it-all. And I know that it's a fine line and I know I don't do a good job about that. In fact, a job interview at a university one time, I didn't get the job and I asked for feedback about what happened because I thought I had a really strong chance. And they said that I came across as arrogant to many of the interviewers. And I just thought, Aren't you supposed to come across as arrogant in a job interview? I mean, it's such a fine line. And while I feel very strongly about my opinions and how I feel about things, sort of the intellectual and the somatic um, interpretation of the world, I also am exceptionally, I think, open to being wrong and being called out. And that's the whole point of your feedback. And your interaction is, you know, my opinion is malleable. My ideas and feelings are, are malleable. I don't know, feelings, maybe not. Some of those things are pretty solid. Uh, and I'm always interested in other ideas around, you know, I don't think there's one definitive explanation for anything. And and really, the, let me go a little further. This episode was sort of triggered by my experience in academia because I realized that, I had run I ran into this uh, perplexing dilemma that was almost sort of a cliche um, where scientists, researchers, academics who are supposed to who profess to be better than normal people at reducing their bias because you have to in order to pursue a scientific investigation, one of the prerequisites is that you are hyper aware of the things that you're doing that might influence the experiment. And it's like Schrodinger's cat, right? You don't know if it's dead or alive. You have to open the box. And so the the argument is, and I can't remember what this is called, but that the researcher automatically alters any research environment. By investigating it, whether it's your physical presence, whether, you know, whatever it is, you're changing it in some way. And so it's almost impossible to really observe nature uh, or, you know, the natural world, the world, anything that's happening without also influencing it. And so we know we are inserting these alterations into the world. And so we have to reduce those and minimize that. And that is the number one fundamental goal, I think. But what I saw... Is not that, <laughs> or, or what's worse, people who thought they were doing that and professed to do that, but instead were haphazardly and rampantly imposing their personal beliefs and views onto the the subject matter, the experimental world, the uh, uh, design, the all the elements of the scientific method were being influenced, and and sort of the the easy and maybe not the most important and maybe not even the lead, the most probable part of this is where people argue that well if your funding sources have an agenda and you want their money then you're necessarily going to follow that agenda in your work and let it influence your work and that's a very real thing and that does happen but I'm not sure that that's the you know like If you're if bare aspirin is funding your research to to show that aspirin is healthy, then of course your research is not going to show that aspirin is dangerous, right? That that, that's not gonna happen. But there's so much more of that. And and I wish I could better describe what I call sort of the academic mindset. And in a podcast I listened to recently about science and what they were basically saying, Oh man, I wish I could describe it. There were, you know, they the researcher. Said where they went to school and talked about their pedigree multiple times. I went to Harvard. We're Harvard. We're, you know, implying that, you know, they're better. Like, wait, that's not, not necessary. Nobody needs to know that, right? Why? Why do your credentials matter? Like the science should speak for itself, and then just the sort of mindset they were basically saying that all the research that happened prior to ten years ago was bad and wrong, and so all of the conclusions that were derived in those studies were bad and wrong. And this is a, these are researchers that are studying psychology, which doesn't have a lot of stuff to actually measure, and so it's loosey goosey to begin with. And I and I you know I can speak with experience here because ecology is the same way. You can't study the earth and follow any kind of statistical rigor because there's only one earth. You can't replicate the earth. In order to really study climate change, you need 200 earths and to apply different treatments to them in order for them to adhere to any statistical methods methods effectively. Long story short, most branches, at least half of branches, any branch of science that cannot control experiments in a laboratory suffers from all kinds of injustice, making leaving it open to argument that it isn't right. And that's what this research was saying. Nobody was doing science right up to 10 years ago. But when Harvard came in and started doing the research right and good, well, we fixed it all. And so our conclusions are all perfect and theirs weren't. I mean, and that's really the attitude and it's sort of disgusting because if you're measuring something like IQ, well, how accurate is IQ? It's a number that's supposed to represent intelligence. Okay, right there, there's a lot of inaccuracy, right? Necessarily. It's not like you can say this, you know, this marker is five inches long, right? That that's a little that's a much different thing that you can measure. It's hard to measure elements. Even neuroscience, you can go, oh well. This part of the brain is lighting up when they do this. So that means autism is caused by the cerebellum or, you know, that, that's the sort of stuff. And, and, and I'm not calling out psychology to say that it's weak because here's my real point. All investigations of all types are valid. It doesn't, science is not the holy grail of understanding things. If you think about indigenous cultures, you know, one of my favorite stories, Richard Evans Schultes was a Harvard-trained botanist and one of the first guys to go into the Andes in South America, the headwaters of the Amazon, one of the most biologically diverse places in the world, and study document catalog plants in a very naturalist way. Like, this is an oak tree. I took a leaf and put it in a book. You know, He was one of the first guys to do this. And while he was there, He had some of our first interactions with indigenous cultures. And uh, well, I could tell lots of stories from the book, but to be brief, basically what happened was he would go down there and using our Harvard trained botanist techniques, he would say, oh, look, in America, we have a species of plant in this genus and it looks like this. And here they have this species of plant in this genus." And then he would communicate with the indigenous cultures and they would go, oh, um, this plant that you say is one plant? We identify as actually 14 plants. And let me explain to you why, because this when it's in this growth form, or you know, whatever species, subspecies, growth form I, I don't know. They don't have the same language indigenously, right? But they would say it has different functions. If ingested by humans, this will have 12 different effects, depending on which one of these plants that we harvest. And so what you're calling one species, we find has 13 different effects. All right. So <laughs> mind-blown. That sort of argues that DNA or at least back then, you know, um <laughs> the techniques of like physiognomy, the shape <laughs> was maybe not definitive at saying that this was a unique individual thing, right? Maybe there are other ways, and that's my point. There are lots of ways, lots of paths to arrive at Accurate conclusions that effectively describe something in the world as meaningful. It doesn't have to be a fact. It doesn't have to be the truth. You never find proof anyway. And any scientist that tells you they prove anything needs to go back to school. They need to go back to science school and figure out what the hell it is they're doing. Because it isn't proving anything. Societies, cultures prove things because we decide what they mean collectively. And if we decide this is reality, then it's reality. Even if it isn't, <laughs> you know, um, I, I can't think of a good example of that right now. It's, but science can finds evidence to support a position about a thing. So can other things. So can intuition. Now, what really, what really, what really sort of rises here is the credibility problem. You think because somebody has a PhD and went to Harvard that they know better than you? Well, I would argue that the indigenous cultures that has inherited wisdom from hundreds of generations in the past probably know some stuff too. In fact, I would probably say that's better, right? But why do we put science on a pedestal? And I love Neil deGrasse Tyson. I love him. I think he's a wonderful human being. But his adherence to science as the holy grail of meaning and truth and proof Drives me nuts, and I would love to get him on the podcast to talk about this. All of us know that's not going to happen. But I really think a lot of these people need, need a little pushback. Anybody who has put – and I'll go ahead and say, you know, I think science is the best way we have at organized thinking. But I don't think we have to adhere to all of the – you know, some things can't be studied effectively, accurately, meaningfully using science – We're sort of fitting square pegs into round holes. Science is really good for things that you can measure in a controlled environment. But for things you can't do that, we need a little bit more. And I don't think it's wrong for people that have some degree of credibility. And I don't know how you tell this about a subject. You can't just come out with an opinion and be like, I think pickup trucks are dumb. I think they're the biggest waste of space. I think we shouldn't spend any money on them. I think they're not effective vehicles and thereby should be banned. That's not the same thing that I'm talking about, right? There's a there's some basic level of rigor that matters. Me, for instance, I have a I have a friend that's going through some um some issues in his life and he might need, you know, thinking about getting therapy. And I'm like, hey man, I've been in therapy coaching uh for 13 years. I know a little bit about this subject based on my experience. I know more than the person that thinks therapy is dumb. I can tell you some things that may expedite your healing. You know, well, I'm a valuable resource, but they people, oh, you don't have a psychology degree. You don't have a LCW. You know, I get that, right? And I and I get that. I get that. Credibility is an issue. And Paul Godola in his in his Integrity and Peace book, talks about this sort of the authority problem, like. Who has the authority to tell us what means something? Well, I'm just saying, scientists need to get off their high horse, and we all need to open the door for alternate paths to knowledge and wisdom. Okay? That's, that's it. And that's a long way to go to get to only just one part of what I'm going to talk about here, because what scientists can't do is it be wrong. They think... And I'm not Not everybody. I mean, obviously, I was a scientist, and I wasn't like this, but it's why I left, right? Or one of the reasons I left. I just couldn't stand the illusion that everybody was hiding behind. If you cannot admit you might be wrong, you're wrong. (laughs) You'll see my episode about I don't know. They're the three most popular, powerful words in the English language, and I think making room for being wrong is what I was talking about in the beginning. I am open to that. I may come across as being... Um, all-knowing or arrogant or so sure of my beliefs, but in as much as in my model of what reality is, there's a term in there, and I talked about this in another episode, the error term. There's a huge possibility, probability factor built into my thinking that says, oh yeah, and I may be totally wrong. And hell, it's like sort of like that meme with a guy at the desk that says, you know I believe X change my mind, right That's what I'm saying. But I'm not gonna add every second sentence to what I say I might be wrong. I'm just this whole episode is supposed to serve as a reminder of that. And another story that sort of inspired this was my mom listened to one of my podcasts. And in that particular podcast, I was talking about how I don't understand age. And I wrote an article on Medium about this. And there's probably several episodes, I'll link in the in the show notes, about that I've talked about age. Because what I see my parents doing on the surface is not much. And, I, and, and she, her feelings kind of got hurt. And we talked about this and it was okay. And I wanted to tell her, like, look, and this is the point I made in my article, we don't know what it's like to be the next age. <laughs> I'm 51. I don't know what it's like to be 52. Maybe maybe a little bit. But I certainly don't know what it's like to be 62 or 72 or 82. And sort of going along the same lines of this thinking, I'm, I'm going to project thoughts onto that and sort of assumptions. In the, in the Here it is. Here, here is the statement, the definitive take-home from this. In the absence of information... Humans will make it up, right? We just do that because it's based on safety. You know, we, if, we're, if it's a dark night and we're a Neanderthal and we're out in the forest alone and we have fear of very real fears... We're going to make up stories to calm ourselves down. It's part of what our brain does to help us feel safe. If we're in a family that's, that's, uh, that, 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 where there's abuse, you're going to make up a story to make it okay because there are things in the world that humans can't, we can't tolerate. The lack of safety, the levels of danger, our anxiety would go through the roof. And so part of what we do to, to, to compensate, see my coping mechanisms episode, is to create stories in our mind where information lacks. And that's part of my problem. Uh, of growing up is, I needed, I still do, it I, I, my, drives my wife nuts, I need more information to feel safe than than than, than you're going to generally get from a situation. Humans are not good about talking about things. And so I, 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 I plead with the, uh, the o- older people to tell me what it's like. Now I get it, it goes both ways. Young people don't create a very conducive environment, we sort of write old people off, they become invisible. And so there's no there's no um motivation for them to, to to share with us they try that's just the way that we communicate is isn't effective and that really comes down to uh communication and so i think i think there can be we we can simultaneously hold opposing ideas thoughts feelings facts in air quotes about the same thing. We can simultaneously love and hate something at the same time. I used to say, you know, your your family is like the people that you love the most, but you also hate the most, right? That can happen simultaneously. Yet another thing humans are bad at is, is accepting that. We want definitive answers because, again, that makes us feel safe. Not only do we want information, we want to know the right information. And I just think we got to go way back to like Taoism and Buddhism as the earliest examples that we know about these things, where that's just not a thing. You know, it's like saying you need to masturbate or something. I don't know. It's not really. (laughs) No, that's an arguable one, I guess. It's not really a need to know. We can let go of the need to know. We can find safety in other ways. We can find safety in the not knowing. And and again. There are indigenous belief systems and as well as more organized and fairly recent belief systems that help us navigate the not knowing. And, you know, if, if we don't know something and we need to explain it to feel safety, that's where being wrong comes in. You know, look, my whole podcast, 151 episodes now and 30 some interviews and in three over three years of doing this you know, I'm wrong about a lot of the stuff I've said. I can look back at early episodes and be like, oh man, I need to redo this one because my thinking is different now. But I don't have to redo it because just like everything else, the fundamental element of life and reality is change. And so why would our definition of what is right or wrong not change? You never know because there's no absolute. You have to live in a world outside of that. You have to sort of uh, s- s- parse out and separate the idea that knowledge is safety and definitive knowing is a, is a is a important thing in your life because without absolute knowledge or truth, we're yeah. going to fall apart. But it's just not true. <laughs> That's not the correct air quotes uh, way- path. The correct path is just being okay with not knowing and coming up with p- positing potential explanations, but understanding that it all could be wrong. And, of course, the greatest example of this ever is gravity, right? One guy says, I think gravity works like that. For some reason, we all go, yeah, you're the man. That's the truth. Okay. Then another guy comes up and says, wait a minute, we're wrong. Everybody freaks out. You know, going back to Copernicus and Galileo, these guys were, like, chastised and nearly murdered, you know, and kept in prison for the rest of their lives because what they said conflicted with religious belief system. It's like, those things can exist simultaneously. There can still be a God and a science. There's... The need for absolute truth is a, is a, is a, is a handicap to humans. And, refu- and not identifying that change is the fundamental truth, if there is anything in a human life, is an error. Um, so whew, there's nothing wrong with being wrong. In fact... What's wrong is thinking you're right (laughs) or not, you know, not thinking you're right. Like I said, I I believe I'm different because I think I'm right. But I understand that there are plenty of explanations out there that I haven't thought of or that may be better. But the important thing is that we talk about these things. And maybe if there's a a hidden message in this episode is that, you know, for a species that has sort of, again in air quotes risen above and air quotes again advanced ourselves so far from our nearest relatives with this complex thinking that we can do we sure don't do a very good job at using it <laughs> you know <laughs> like effective communication is everything like uh, yeah I, I just don't understand why we don't interact more through this complex language that we can do to to sort of understand these things better. And I think the way to do that, and perhaps, and here, let's circle back, perhaps one of the barriers to that kind of world is the scientists themselves and the very arrogance that makes people go, well, they sound like they know what they're talking about. They go to Harvard, they get paid a lot of money, what they're saying must be right, even though I have this feeling that they're not. And those feelings are important. They should show up in the world. Science can't explain everything. There is, are things we'll never know, but there are things we can that science can't explain that we can understand with different pathways, like intuition, feelings, somatic, ancient wisdom, indigenous knowledge, things like that. That's all I want to say. And and again, to sort of call out the idea that over. My the history. My intention is not to offend, nor to come across as being all knowing or arrogant or, or or pretentious or whatever. And maybe I do, but and that's fine. But that's not my point. And I'm I, the point is, I would love for this podcast to to be a conversation between thousands of people, <laughs> you know, uh, who all come at it. With a basic understanding of what discourse is, that we all think we're our opinions, we all think we matter, we all think we're important, but we're not arrogant, we think we have meaningful information and answers, but not a definitive, absolute explanation, and we're open and curious and hungry for other people's input on those issues so that we can have a more a better understanding about those things and god damn it that's kind of what evolution is <laughs> and, and we're not doing a good job and that's part of a bigger project that I'm working on uh, more on that later so yeah I hope that's meaningful I got it off my chest and I appreciate the opportunity to do that remember to Tell your friends, like, hit all the things that you do, and you know what to do. If you're listening to the podcast or reading this on my blog or watching it on YouTube, please help me out. Or help, it's not even helping me out. Help other people out so that we might actually get to this point, right? That I can get at least you and me and whomever can get plugged into whatever this bigger thing is. Because I'd like for it, you know, I'd like for it to happen in my lifetime. (laughs) I know it's going to happen. Uh, but whatever that you know, critical mass is, that threshold that needs to be passed before we figure out how to have this meaningful discourse, uh, I wanna, I'd like to be a part of that. So I appreciate your help. So anyway, I may be wrong, and that's okay. That's episode 151 of Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. I'm Chris Bercher. I appreciate your time. Take it easy.